So you don't have to be a president or a United States senator or a governor or you can just make a difference. You can just be the change you want to be. This is Tatiana Ibrahim. She's a mother of a high school sophomore in upstate New York. And she went to the school board because she was upset about critical race theory, about the vile and demonic teachings that are now coming through our public schools, telling kids that police are the enemy. She was alone, she was unafraid, and she spoke up. My message to this district and the members of the Board of Ed, stop indoctrinating our children. Stop teaching our children to hate the police. Stop teaching our children that if they don't agree with the LGBT community, that they're homophobic. You have no idea each child's life. You don't know what their family lifestyle consists of. You don't know the makeup of their, of their life. And she went on and on and on. It was remarkable. By the way, the room was not really on her side when she spoke. The board was resisting her. People in the audience seemed to not know how to react. But that video made the rounds. I got wind of it and I put it on the show on Monday night. We watched the entire thing, all 11 minutes. And, and counting. This thing is taking off. And I'm not the only one putting it out there. So Tatiana Ibrahim is becoming a superstar and she deserves it. You saw the scene at the last school board meeting. Well, this is from last night. Yeah! 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 <laughs> now that's more like it, isn't it? What do you say? And it's not just happening in that one school district, it's happening all across the country. People are upset, people are furious, and they're not afraid, and I love it. Fairfax County public school teacher, and I'm gonna give a message of encouragement to parents and teachers and students who are too afraid to come and speak forward. Parents, the longer that you wait and you don't hold your child's schools accountable gives these guys more time to dictate what's best for your child's physical, mental, and emotional health. Don't be afraid to speak out for your kids because they are voiceless and they, and they rely on you. You should be afraid of them rooting for socialism by the time they get to middle school. Teachers, it may seem that our careers have come to a dead end, but I'm here to remind you, we don't work for the school board. We work to mold the next generation of well-rounded American patriots. So don't give up because it is up to us. Students, you are on the front lines of these indoctrination camps. Challenge the staff when you're presented with a ludicrous statement and do not allow anybody to tell you that you cannot accomplish anything because of your skin color or to hate yourself because of your skin color. Students, it is up to you to be the next generation of victims or victors. And finally, to the board, this isn't over and your policies are just as... That is, making us wear masks. Nick Gothard, followed by Ryan... They cut her mic at the end, but real people speaking from the heart, that's a million times more powerful than some politician reading from a script. Which reminds me about Barack Obama, 2004, back when he was conning us, trying to charm all of us. He spoke almost in a different language. Now, I know today that he doesn't believe what he was saying back then. There is not a liberal America and a conservative America. There is the United States of America. 
There is not a black America and a white America and Latino America and Asian America. There's the United States of America. Sounds beautiful, doesn't it? I actually believe there's a United States of America. He doesn't. He doesn't. He speaks in the most racially divisive terms, even when he's trying to be a nice guy. I saw him on CNN the other night. Basically a photo op. He was hanging with uh, folks in the community. Is this guy the post-racial Obama that we were all introduced to 15 or 16 years ago? Sort of, for me, my personal journey intersected with, I think, this broader question of uh, how are we setting up a society so that young men like that can succeed or not succeed. And that's what led me to the south side of Chicago. That's what led me to be a community organizer was that sense that, look, when I walk down the street of the south side of Chicago, I see young people and they look and remind me of me or Michelle. And a, a, a combination of uh, circumstance allowed us to succeed. Look and remind me of me. I thought we were individuals, huh? This is new language. This is new divisive language. It sounds great, but it's not great. I don't know anybody who looks like me. I don't know anybody that handsome. Just kidding. But this is different. This is a different way of speaking, certainly different from him 15 years ago. And that group he spoke with in that phony little mini town hall, Barack Obama implied that white America is afraid of people who look like that. These are horrendous generalizations, but now I'm learning that's what he's all about. His book, his what, fifth or sixth about himself? Some eye-opening messages. He doesn't seem to, quite frankly, like white people. Let me show you, let me make the case here. He refers to white people 97 times in the book. 71% of those references are negative. From white flight, white panic, white resistance, um, a white woman who refused to shake his hand, things like that throughout the book. White middle-aged men, how bland a room is with white middle-aged men all over the place. Now, when he's talking about black people, with a capital B, by the way, 130 references, 16% are neutral, 83% are positive to sympathetic. I think that's pretty remarkable for the first post-racial president. Hmm? That's what we were told. That was the message he sold us on. But he doesn't need us anymore. Two terms as president and all the money and opportunity in the world. Let's take a look, huh? He's got hundreds of millions of dollars coming in from book deals, Netflix, all that stuff. He has done very, very well, and he doesn't need us anymore. And it's pretty sad. It's pretty sad. I'll be right back. Real heroes. Real conflict. Real threats. Real heart. Now, there's a place America gets its news. Newsmax, we're real news for real people. Millions are turning off the old channels and switching to Newsmax, the fastest growing cable news channel in America. No agenda, no spin, just the facts. Millions watch us, so can you. Newsmax, we are real news for real people. Have you checked out the Newsmax Daily Podcast with me, Rob Carson? 
You get daily news, insightful commentary, and believe it or not, comedy. Check it out wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts or at NewsmaxTV.com slash podcast. All I can say, can say is, is that, that the fake, fake news just doesn't get, get it, do they? They don't. And wow, oh wow, they were wrong about President Trump basically every time they opened their mouths. Remember last year, the big protests throughout the country and in Washington, D.C., in front of the White House, they brought in the National Guard to remove the protesters. Well, we just found out a very interesting piece of information. This was all blamed on Trump. He said he ordered the National Guard in so he could have his photo op. Remember when he stood in front of that church with the Bible? I thought it was remarkable. I thought it was an indicator that order will prevail. Faith and order, good things. Mainstream media said this was the worst thing that ever happened. The president of the United States looking like a wannabe dictator right. uh, so he could walk over, over to a church and right. pretend to be concerned about the church. Outrage is growing over the forceful removal of peaceful protesters to clear the way for the president to hold a photo op at St. John's Church. We saw peaceful protesters being gassed so the president could take a stroll and so he could pose for the cameras. Donald Trump started a riot in the president's park in Lafayette Park so he could have a photo op and awkwardly, weirdly, bizarrely hold a Bible like nobody has ever held a Bible before. Awkwardly, weirdly, that's coming from MSNBC. Well, the Interior Department put out a report today. Everything you just saw is a myth, is nonsense. Let's go ahead and put it up on the screen, please. From the Interior Department, the official report, the evidence we reviewed showed that the United States Park Police cleared the park to allow a contractor to safely install anti-scale fencing in response to destruction of federal property and injury to officers that occurred on May 30th and May 31st. Moreover, the evidence established that relevant United States Park Police officials had made those decisions and had begun implementing the operational plan several hours before they knew of a potential presidential visit to the park, which occurred later that day. Everything else about that was fake news. Now they tell us. How about this? Hydroxychloroquine? So controversial. You know why? Because President Trump was open-minded about it. Um, he spoke about it a lot, actually, and that did not mean there was something wrong with it. He's the president of the United States. He gets all kinds of information, or at least he was when he was in office, and he was speaking responsibly and with knowledge when he said this. Many doctors think it is extremely successful, the hydroxychloroquine, uh, coupled with the zinc and perhaps the zithromycin, but uh, many doctors think it's extremely good. I happen to think it's, uh, it works in the early stages. I think frontline medical people believe that too, some, many. And so we'll take a look at it. But the one thing we know, it's been out for a long time. It is. I took hydroxychloroquine when I was in the service. No big deal. Mainstream media again went crazy. President continuing to take this drug, hydroxychloroquine, continuing to make false claims about this drug, saying it cannot definitively harm you. As we well know, that is not the case. The president returns to peddling his alternative facts. 
The president says most of the country is virus-free. That is false. And he says hydroxychloroquine saves lives. Also not true. Studies continue to show that there is no benefit from taking the drug hydroxychloroquine. Still, the president continues to push it. Oh, and also, we don't have it in this footage, but remember Neil Cavuto? Nice guy, but had Trump derangement syndrome big time. People will die if you take hydroxychloroquine. They all lost their minds. Anyway, we finally have a report, and he was getting information, you know, before they published. Take a look at this from the Epoch Times. Weight-adjusted hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin. Nailed it. Boosted survival of ventilated COVID-19 patients by 200%. That is a big deal. All right, now this. Black lives do matter, not just when the Black Lives Matter movement says so. They only care when a black life is taken by a white cop. No, all lives matter. Black lives matter, including the life of 18-year-old Musa Fofana. He was shot and killed Sunday in Maplewood, New Jersey. He was an 11th grade soccer star at Columbia High School, killed by gunfire outside a sports complex near the school. Police say he was... Uh, cutting across the school athletic field on the way to a friend's house at around 9.30 at night after soccer practice. His mother says he never got in trouble, had lots of friends, and dedicated his life to the sport of soccer. My son did not deserve what happened to him, you know? He was a happy child. He was a good kid. He was not in trouble. He was kind to everybody. If I can stay with him one more one more day, you know, I will always choose that. No arrests have been made. A GoFundMe page has been set up to help the family cover funeral and other expenses. He was 18 years old. We'll be right back. So Google is probably one of the biggest and most important companies in the world. You may use it many times a day. Google knows a lot about us. They are big, they are rich, and they are getting bigger and more powerful and richer. Uh, do we trust them? Do we trust them entirely? Uh, you know, they can skew the results of what you search for. And what do they do with all that data? Some folks think they should be regulated. And you know what? I think that way as well. I don't exactly know what that entails, but Dave Yost joins us. He is the Ohio Attorney General, and he has filed the nation's first lawsuit to declare Google a public utility, which seems to make a lot of sense. Uh, Mr. Attorney General, welcome to Newsmax. How are you? I'm well. Thank you for having me. How's this going to work? Uh, making Google a public utility would do what? It, it, we're seeking a declaratory judgment. In other words, we're asking court to say what the law is uh, between the parties. And in Ohio, public utilities um, cover a whole lot of things. Um, and Google clearly qualifies. They're generally uh, out there asking for people to come in and do business. Um, they dominate the marketplace. Uh, and so we're hoping to get that declaratory judgment action. Now, so what, what happens if the court agrees with us? They have new duties at that point because they dominate the marketplace, because they are acting like a common carrier or uh, an electric company or a railroad. 
they have to allow everybody in. They have to have uh, unbiased terms of use. Uh, and they've got to act uh, with consideration of the public interest, not just their own bottom line. Now, we've been hearing some strange things from Google, their diversity officer, chief diversity officer who's in charge of basically being woke at Google. It's one of the wokest companies around. Turns out that he might be an anti-Semite himself. Kamu Bob saying horrible things about Jewish people. I've uh, been blogging that for years. Let me ask you this. You're in Ohio. If you get that declaratory judgment, is that going to, it's a global company. Is that going to affect everybody else? Well, technically it would only affect Ohio. Uh, it's state law. Uh, but on the other hand, this is a big marketplace. And look, we're not asking for something that's terribly difficult. Google's slogan is, do the right thing. Hmm. Well, Ohio law says when you get this big and this dominant, this is what the right thing is. You treat everybody fair, a level playing field, uh, and you act in the public interest. It shouldn't be an issue. They ought to be able to act that way across the globe, not just in Ohio. Hey, I want to run this by you. This is an analogy I came up with. I've been talking about it for a long time. You're the attorney. You're the attorney general of Ohio. But it's like if Thomas Edison decided when he invented the light bulb and the first power company, you know, I'm only going to give the light bulb to people I agree with. I'm only going to allow electricity in houses if you're writing things and saying things that I agree with. I mean, maybe that's a little bit extreme, but I think it's somewhat analogous to what's happening right now. Big tech giving people a hard time if they're not in sync with big tech's worldview. I got to tell you, I'm really concerned about this. Now, the subject of our lawsuit uh, really goes to more operation in the marketplace. But here's the critical question. When a company becomes as big and powerful as the government and decides to exercise censorship uh, powers, uh, how is that different than the government itself doing it? Um, now, it, it's fine. We have a marketplace of ideas, and uh, I don't like anybody drawing a line about saying what's in and what's out, uh, what's acceptable and what's not. But we've all agreed in, through the Constitution that we're not going to let the United States government do that. When you get a company that's that big and that powerful, should they be able to do things that we don't even let our own government do? Well, maybe Facebook and Twitter should be next because we've got big concerns about them. Hey, listen, Ohio seems to be going through uh, what the rest of us are going through here, especially in New York, a crime spike big time. It seems like it's more dangerous than ever to be a cop. No respect for law enforcement out there. Uh, this horrific narrative is being driven by the by the fake news. You are the chief law enforcement officer in Ohio. Sir, your thoughts, please. Well, look, we, we've got to support the, the police. Uh, where an individual acts improperly, they ought to be held accountable. No question about it. Uh, but the foundation of civilization is the rule of law. Now, the rule of law requires law enforcement. And sometimes, although it's not terribly pretty, law enforcement can require force. Uh, we need to get this debate on the right track. One of the reasons that uh, I went to the legislature a few and the governor uh, a few weeks ago and asked them to take some of that emergency COVID money that uh, the federal yeah. government and Joe Biden are shoveling out of all across the country. I said, let's let's do a thousand dollar bonus 
for the police officers who showed up last year during the COVID epidemic. You know, they couldn't socially distance uh, on the job. They couldn't stay home and work from home. They weren't in a controlled environment where yep. everybody was tested and they knew what the uh, what what the uh, status was. So, yeah, uh, I agree with you, sir. We like your style, especially when it comes to uh, COVID and some of the restrictions. You went viral yourself when you uh, burned the mask. Uh, you were pretty frustrated. This is only on June 1st. Let's face it. Uh, masks are of dubious effectiveness. Tell us a little bit. That's you in your backyard. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about this moment, why you decided to do it. Yeah, you know, look, uh, a lot of people will burn their mortgage when they made their last mortgage payment. Uh, that doesn't mean the mortgage was evil. Uh, you might not have been able to buy your house without that mortgage, but when you're done, aren't you glad that you're not making payments to the bank anymore? Uh, I had COVID, I got vaccinated, I wore my mask uh, during the period we were supposed to, and now like most normal people, I'm happy about that. <laughs> Is that so wrong? Not at all, not at all, sir. Uh, Dave Yost, the Ohio Attorney General, we thank you very much, Republican, and uh, please come back. You can follow uh, the Attorney General at Yost for Ohio. All the best, sir. Thank you, sir. We'll be right back. New York City, a once great city. Look at it. These are recent pictures. This place has taken such a dive over the past couple of years under liberal leadership. Bill de Blasio, even liberals think he's probably the worst mayor in the history of mayors. We've got a really bad situation. Look, the entire country is going through some of this, but it's especially acute in New York. And New York is a very important city. There are ripple effects throughout our entire culture. What happens here can affect the rest of the country. There is a new book. It is called The Last Days of New York, A Reporter's True Tale by Seth Barron. He is the managing editor for the American Mind. And sir, this is a great book. I read it. I enjoyed it very much. And uh, welcome to Newsmax. How are you? I'm well, Greg. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on. So do me a favor, if you would. Let's start with Bill de Blasio. Some people may remember he ran for president. It was a disaster. Um, but a lot of folks across the country don't know that much about him. Uh, summarize, if you will, who this guy is, where he came from, and how he came to be so bad. Well, Bill de Blasio was just a political functionary, uh, an operative in Democratic politics. Uh, he worked under uh, Andrew Cuomo in the Clinton administration and then, you know, just did the usual sort of organizing and, um, you know, campaign management. He, he actually managed uh, Hillary Clinton's senatorial campaign. Uh, and then he got into the city council. He worked his way up. Uh, you know, he was very tied in with uh, SEIU 1199 and um, other unions and the Working Families Party in New York. Uh, and uh, they he was pushed pushed forward to become the, the, the standard bearer of hard left progressive politics and, one of the, you know, became the mayor. 
one of the bad things uh, about our system, you get people who may know politics but know nothing about governing, nothing about getting things done. Um, I'd like to show you a clip. You wrote about this very powerfully. This is a, a woman who was uh, on the floor in a, sitting, uh, in a city facility, the housing authority. Security guards got involved. They removed her, and this became a huge deal, and it said it revealed so much about our city. I'd like to show it first and then have you uh, talk about it, please. So this woman was on the floor. She insisted on sitting on the floor. Security guards got involved. I mean, you're not supposed to sit on the floor. This revealed a lot of things that are screwed up about New York, from the media to its leadership to uh, how folks are treated. Could you take us through that? What did you learn about this incident? Because not many people thought about it as deeply and sensitively as you. Yeah. So really bringing, bringing back some good memories. Um, Jasmine Headley was a, uh, a, a young mother in Brooklyn. She lost her childcare voucher. She didn't know why. She went to the welfare office, and uh, there were no seats. No one offered her a seat. So she sat on the floor. The security officers asked her to get up. She refused. And it just devolved into this kind of grotesquerie. Um, everybody was yelling. The police came. And, you know, they didn't really know what to do. But the thing is, is this video went totally viral. And all of the politicians in New York jumped to her defense. Um, and, you know, she was taken to jail for, you know, doing what she did. Uh, you know, because she also attacked some of the officers. Um, all of the officers lost their jobs. And the city council had a huge hearing. Everybody just wept and bowed down before this woman and... I mean, it was kind of like a Breonna Taylor type situation for a little while. I mean, obviously she wasn't killed, but they acted as though she was like the greatest mother of all time, the greatest person and the greatest victim. And then de Blasio magically restored her child care benefits and the city gave her $600,000, I think. Um, so it was just this bizarre event and nobody asked, well, what? What were the officers supposed to do? Is it okay to sit on the floor? Are you allowed to go and just sit on the floor in a government office? And should the security officers who are sworn public servants just have let her do it? Um, it was a really bizarre episode. You know, and a lot of the officers, security guards and others happen to be people of color, which I noticed the media kind of ignored and, and, and glossed over. Everybody there was black. Uh, Jasmine Headley, all of the workers, the security officers, all the clients, all the social workers. I, I think every single person there was black, but the whole thing was painted and depicted as a example of how black women are so mistreated in the city and nobody respects them. And that this was actually like racism somehow. Uh, it was a really, really... I mean, nobody really paid that much attention to the situation after it happened. But, yeah, it, it's it's a very revealing moment. And the way you wrote about it in the book, very, very powerful. A couple of pages on it. It's worth it's really worth reading. Uh, can I ask you about this? Uh, if you walk around New York right now, pot, the smell of pot is everywhere. And I know it's essentially been legalized, but 
I wonder if that's a good thing. And before it was legalized, it wasn't. But I want to show you this picture of Bill de Blasio and his police commissioner at the time in 2014, uh, Bill Bratton, holding up a bag of weed. And this is not like that it was confiscated from a crime. There's the leadership of the city telling people how much weed, marijuana, they can legally carry in New York. That's what was the purpose of that press conference. See this bag of marijuana? You're allowed to walk around with this much. And I just thought that that was a turning point um, for the city. It, 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 it seemed I could not believe that they were encouraging have a bag of weed and walk around before, quite frankly, smoking it would be legal or for recreational purposes or otherwise. No, that's absolutely right. At the time, they, they did emphasize that burning marijuana was still illegal, but they said, if you're carrying this amount, which I think was an ounce or, or so, uh, you will not be arrested. Uh, yes, but then, of course, what that indicates to the cops is, well, don't bother pursuing any marijuana arrests. I mean, now at this point, I go to Washington Square Park and there are people there with like large bongs just pulling on their bong. Um, you know, it's funny, the marijuana enthusiasts, they like to say that marijuana is a medicine that can cure everything, cancer, lupus, insomnia. And yet, unlike every other powerful medicine in the world, it has no side effects. So nobody can explain to me how, um, how that logic works. Uh, marijuana is not a safe drug, but now its use is being, like, virtually encouraged. And it's also associated with, um, you know, frankly, uh, it, it has a very bad effect on the mentally ill. And we have many untreated mentally ill people in New York who are smoking marijuana and acting out violently. Well, Seth Barron, the book is remarkable. Uh, you're a gifted writer, and let's put it up again. The Last Days of New York, a reporter's true tale. And before we go, is there anything you say the last days of New York, like it's all over and it's not coming back? Uh, <laughs> give, us, give, us, uh, give us a little hope. Uh, as bad as it is right now, is there any turning this thing around? Well, look, I never say die. I mean, if the people of New York really get their act together and start paying attention to politics and turn out, you know, and put, I mean, look, politicians just do whatever they're told. Generally, if they think that they're going to get in trouble for, you know, these like crazy uh, policies, well, then they'll turn around. But until that happens, no, I mean, I don't think we're, I think we're in for it. Yikes. Well, stay tuned. In the meantime, we'll read your book again. Thank you very much, Seth Barron. Appreciate it. Thank you, Greg. We'll be right back. Hey, remember this guy, Swalwell? <laughs> uh, Eric Swalwell, ex-boyfriend of Fang Fang, by the way. Remember that situation? Yeah. Anyway, Swalwell is still in the news He's filing a lawsuit against, uh, let's see here, uh, Congressman Mo Brooks. We'll meet him in a moment. Rudy Giuliani, Donald Trump, Donald Trump Jr. He's alleging that they incited the January 6th violence. Um, we'll get to that nonsense in a moment. But first, let's say hi to Congressman Mo Brooks. Uh, great to see you again, sir. How are you? 
I'm doing great. How about yourself today? Uh, terrific. Well, listen, Swalwell is serious about this. He did file a lawsuit and, uh, you know, you get served with papers and sometimes you hire those firms who come around and, and serve you with the papers. Um, someone approached your wife. We have the videotape. We're going to play it in a moment. But let me ask you something. When you're served in a lawsuit, I thought the person being sued, you would have to be served, not your wife. How does your wife figure in all of this? Well, under federal law, you go to a person's residence and you serve the papers on a responsible adult in that residence, then that counts as service to someone like myself. So serving my wife was fine. You know, if you'd gone to the front door and knocked and Martha had gone to the front door and given the papers to her, bingo, that counts as service on the husband. Very good, sir. So this is what happened. Uh, one of those servers came to your home in Alabama, and uh, let's go ahead and roll it. So the, this is the server, runs into the garage. He's filming your wife. Thinks she's gonna get the license plate number at this point, good for her. And she, uh, he drives off rather. That seemed very, very aggressive to me. And technically he went inside your house, didn't he? He did. In Alabama, that's a criminal trespass in the first degree, the worst kind of trespass. When you trespass inside someone's dwelling, it has a penalty up to a year in jail and a fine up to $6,000. What's most remarkable about this is that the Swalwell team still insists that uh, their teammate did not enter our house, which, of course, we've got video that he did. So here is a member of the Swalwell team, the lawyer on CNN, the fake news. Very appropriate. And here he is denying what we all just saw. I want to make it clear that the process server did not go into the Brooks's home um, and the Brooks's know that. Uh, but what I but what I will say is um, after months of trying to find this guy who had every opportunity to not allow it to come to this, we finally were able to serve his wife at his house. It's clear Bo Brooks is not happy about being served. It's clear he's not happy that his wife was served for him. But that's how it happened. Well, let's take one more look, if you could, about how it happened. That guy went into your house. The garage is part of the house, and that is not allowed. So what are you going to do about this, sir? Well, my wife insists that she's going to swear out a warrant, and we'll see how it plays out uh, from there. In the meantime, uh, we will expose Swalwell's lawsuit for the dishonesty that it is. It's politically motivated. Perhaps it's a desire on his part to divert public attention from his relationship with the communist Chinese spy Fang Fang while serving on the House Intelligence Committee, which receives in Congress the most secretive information that our national security uh, teams are able to disclose to us. So there are a lot of potential motivations with Swalwell. You know, he once ran for president. Maybe he's the Manchurian candidate. He wants to run again. I don't know. But I can say this. I've looked at the complaint. It is full of falsehoods, deceits, and lies. I counted at least 50 of them in this uh, frivolous, politically motivated suit against myself, President Donald Trump, Donald Trump Jr., and Rudy Giuliani. And if we have an honest judge who will apply the law and the facts as they are presented, I'm quite confident that there won't be a judgment against anybody. Well, you've got this videotape, and it's absolutely dynamite. So uh, 
Let's see what happens. By the way, our vice president went to Guatemala, as you know, and um, <laughs> mystified and amused a lot of people. Uh, here she is with Lester Holt. We know she hasn't been to the border yet, the important border, our border, as she's supposed to. Uh, and she was asked about that. We put a button. Okay. Do you have any plans to visit the border? I, at some point, you know, I, we are going to the border. We've been to the border. So you, this whole this whole this whole thing about the border, we've been to the border. We've been to the border. You haven't been to the border. I, and I haven't been to Europe. And I, mean, I don't I don't understand the point that you're making. Uh, you know, sir, a lot of us do take border security very, 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 very seriously. It's a major issue, and she's laughing about it, and she's not doing what she was told to do, which she was supposed to be the point person on this. Well, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are out of touch with reality. I'm not sure exactly what it is about their mental attitude and approach to all of this that makes them out of touch, but we have a very serious and dangerous problem at our southern border. And I heard one clip earlier today where Kamala Harris was talking about addressing the cause. Well, the cause is simple, Kamala Harris. Listen up, listen close, quit paying people money to break into the United States of America. You know what? You'll have fewer of them here. Start enforcing our border security laws. And you know what? They won't come. Just obey the law. If you'll just obey the law and quit encouraging illegal conduct, then we will have a solution at our southern border. But quite frankly, the socialists like Kamala Harris and like Joe Biden, they covet political power so much that they're willing to sacrifice American lives. Each year, about 2,000 American lives are dead at the hands of illegal aliens killed on American soil. And they're willing to accept those losses because they believe long-term that it, this process of illegally crossing our borders will empower Socialist Democrats with more votes in House, Senate, and White House elections. And that's what it's all about, is their craven coveting of power, regardless of the damage done to American citizens. I want to ask you finally, uh, you back to the lawsuit, you sued for your comments on January 6th. Um, number one, I don't hear anybody talking about uh, Ashley Babbitt. I can't believe that this isn't a bigger issue Young woman was shot and killed by Capitol Police. She was unarmed. Her hands were visible. No warning whatsoever. Um, get her for trespassing, sure, whatever. But she didn't deserve to die that day. Why the hell, excuse me, but why isn't anyone concerned about this? Well, if she were not Caucasian, I suspect that the mainstream news media, or the fake news media as we often call them, would be addressing this in a quite different fashion. Um, I'm not sure of the circumstances that transpired as to why she was shot. She was unarmed. Uh, quite frankly, I have some sympathy for our Capitol Police officers who, to some degree, uh, felt threatened, as they probably should have, given the violence that was associated with some of the rioters, keeping in mind that 99% were law-abiding. But there were some militants that were doing some bad things inside the Capitol. So I, I want to wait until we have a better report. I understand that the Bobbitt family may sue. Uh, if that happens, then there will be some kind of discovery and some kind of trial. And at that point, all of us will be in a better position to exercise a better judgment as to who was right and who was wrong and what should be done to prevent it from happening again. Yeah. Well, look, I've looked at the video and uh, I don't see how that could be justified. I don't see a department in the country, police department, who could justify that. But uh, we... We need more answers for sure.
Congressman Mo Brooks. I hate that it happened. Sorry, I sir. Hate that it happened. I hate that it happened. Indeed, indeed. Congressman Brooks, we appreciate it. Our best to your wife. She should not have been treated that way. And uh, I think that uh, you got a case here against that guy. Uh, to be continued, sir. Thank you. All the best. We'll be right back. On the flyleaf, under the heading, My Pledge, he had written these words. America must win this war. Therefore, I will work, I will save, I will sacrifice, I will endure. I will fight cheerfully and do my utmost as if the issue of the whole struggle depended on me alone. We must realize that no arsenal or no weapon in the arsenals of the world is so formidable as the will and moral courage of free men and women. It is a weapon our adversaries in today's world do not have. It is a weapon that we as Americans do have. Let that be understood by those who practice terrorism and prey upon their neighbors. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Ultimately, I'm always right. He was right. He was right. When the fake news said he was wrong, he was right. Happened so many times, including, remember when we had that big riot in front of the White House and the National Guard was brought in to clear it? Well, the Parks Department has come forward to say the president had nothing to do with that. This was not done for his photo op, and it wasn't a photo op. This was a declaration that order will prevail, and it was healthy. The United States uh, Department of the Interior under Joe Biden has come out and said the idea that the president, President Trump, ordered the removal for this moment is false. That's fake news. Also, you'll remember hydroxychloroquine. Um, Standard treatment's been around for decades. I took it when I was in the military. It was mandatory, actually, on certain occasions that it's totally fine and actually helps fight COVID. Official studies are coming in left and right. Uh, back then, the president had access to a lot of that information. That's why he spoke so positively about hydroxychloroquine. He's allowed to do that. He's the president, and he knows things that the fake news doesn't. That's what the fake news could never figure out. All right, folks, thanks for joining us tonight. We'll see you tomorrow. Stand by for Stinchfield.